the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The John Steigerwald Show, sponsored by Service Master of Greater Pittsburgh. Demand the yellow van. Portions of today's program may be pre-recorded. Words can't describe how glad I am. Now, there are no words to describe how glad I am to have grown up when I did. Um, I know that's what everybody says, especially when they reach a certain age. Uh, but I grew up before every person on the planet was walking around with the ability to record everything that they see. And I'm really glad about that. There was a moment during the World Baseball Championships being held in Tokyo over the weekend. Famous Japanese player hit a home run. Everybody went crazy. And the response from the fans made it onto Twitter, went viral. <clears throat> Everybody was amazed that whoever caught the ball in the stands passed it around so everybody could take a look at it. And you can see the people looking at the ball there, and somewhere on Twitter said, imagine this happening in America. Now, I don't know if he meant the people passing it around or the people taking pictures of it with their phones, because that's what every person did. They took the ball, they rolled it around in their hands. You know, they've got a, I guess it's now a famous baseball, and they were just looking at it, you know, which, which you, anybody would do with a baseball that was just handed to them. Well, every single person in the shot took a picture of it with their phone, one after another. I can't imagine that happening in America, but I could be wrong. Let's just say I wouldn't be shocked if it did happen. Now, a few weeks ago, uh, LeBron James set the all-time scoring record for the NBA, and in the video, you can see every fan behind the basket, and I mean every, instead of applauding, they were standing and they were holding their phones up over their heads to record the moment. So it's not enough to be there anymore. You have to make sure you record it so that you can carry it around in your pocket for the rest of your life. A, mem a memory obviously isn't enough anymore. Imagine if everybody, anybody remember the Polaroid cameras? What if everybody took a Polaroid to the game and took, why didn't everybody do that? You, we had the ability then to, Take a picture and leave the game with a picture of LeBron James, you know, celebrating after the uh, after he made the shot. But no, people didn't do that. But you do have to make sure you record it so that you can carry it around in the pocket in your pocket uh, for the rest of your life because you know that memory just isn't enough. So when you hear our guest coming up in a few minutes, you may be wondering about the future of sports in America, or if, if not the world, because of how people born in this century feel about them. That would be Gen Z. They don't care. And the sports leagues are annoying the fans that they still have in order to chase after the ones they may never get. We'll talk about that after the break. And uh, in our second half hour, we're going to have our media expert, Jeff McCall, here to talk about the media's reaction to Tucker Carlson's January 6th tapes and the fact that the big guy is going to sit down and do a TV, TV interview in prime time, sort of, on the Comedy Channel. Stick around. As the Biden administration ratchets up its war on Americans' right to keep and bear arms, a groundbreaking new book from Regnery Publishing pushes back and offers hope for the future. Professional firearms instructor and veteran gun store owner Larry Correa's new book, In Defense of the Second Amendment, pulls back the curtain on Washington's gun-grabbing agenda and how you can protect your rights. You'll learn why gun-free zones are more dangerous for college students and average citizens, how so-called gun control laws handcuff law-abiding Americans while allowing dangerous violent criminals to run wild in our cities and offers solid details on how America has a history of gun ownership that is under attack by liberals in Congress. If you care deeply about protecting your Second Amendment rights and keeping your family safe, you must read In Defense of the Second Amendment, new from Regnery, available now at Amazon.com and wherever books are sold. Over 10 years ago, we realized how important saving family memories was, and we wanted to help. 
Legacy Box started from that passion and has now helped over a million families digitally preserve their film reels, VHS tapes, and photos. Hi, I'm Nick. And I'm Adam. What started with the two of us in a garage is now over 200 trained professionals. Legacy Box is a safe and secure way to put all your favorite family memories on an easy-to-view digital format like a thumb drive, DVD, or the cloud. We ship you a sturdy Legacy Box to fill with all your outdated media, safety barcodes to track your items throughout the process, and a prepaid mailing label. Legacy Box has been featured by Good Morning America and The Today Show. Not bad for two kids in a garage. That's true, Nick. And here's the best part. We always wanted to make it affordable to preserve your entire collection. So we're offering 50% off. Visit LegacyBox.com slash LBOX to take advantage of this exclusive offer. That's LegacyBox.com slash LBOX to save 50%. LegacyBox.com slash LBOX. Dennis Prager here. Sue and I mean it. Dogs are part of our family. We love Otto and Snoopy so much. There's nothing quite like their loyal companionship. So we provide them with rough greens. In fact, I just talked to my wife about it because we want them to be healthy and we want them to be with us as long as possible. That's true. I know Sebastian Gorka feels the same way. The Pragers and I couldn't agree more. Our pups can Kelly and Alea rely on us to provide what's best for them. And naturopathic Dr. Dennis Black has packed rough greens full of vitamins, minerals, digestive enzymes, omega oils, and more that supplement their food in a way that has shown us great results. Trying out rough greens is an easy yes, recommended by me, Dr. G. Naturopathic Dr. Dennis Black here, and I'm so proud that the Pragers and Sebastian Gorka have entrusted their dog's health to rough greens. I'm so confident that rough greens can help your dog. I'm offering you a free Jumpstart trial bag. Just cover the shipping. Yes, your dog's food is dead food, but you can bring it back to life with Rough Greens. Go to RUFFgreens.com. Hey, I'm Andy. I started Harry's because I was frustrated with buying razors at the drugstore. And when I say frustrated, I mean like so upset I called my friend Jeff. Hello, this is Jeff. Jeff, I'm at the store, and I don't get why these razors... Cost so much? Yeah, and do they need to look like robots? Ah, dude, I know, and it's so frustrating how expensive they are. Getting ripped off sucks. We gotta do something about this. Why don't we make our own high-quality razors at much better prices? Actually, I heard about this German razor factory that makes some really high-quality blades. Really? Okay, maybe that's not exactly how it went. But we did buy that German factory, where we're turning high-quality steel into super-sharp blades for a smooth shave at a great price. Seriously, as low as $2 per cartridge. Over the past 10 years, 20 million people have tried Harry's. Join them and get your starter set now. That's a five-blade razor, weighted handle, and shave gel, all for just 3 bucks with free shipping. Backed by our quality guarantee. If you don't like it, it's on us. Just go to harrys.com now and enter code MODERN at checkout. That's harrys.com, code MODERN. The John Steigerwall Show, AM 1250, The Answer. Now, the Penguins got a big win over the Rangers yesterday, and they're starting to look like a playoff team, both mathematically and with the way they've been playing. Uh, They're the most successful Pittsburgh pro team of the last 20 years, and it's not close, maybe 30. But what about the league they play in? Ethan Strauss writes at House dot substack.com and here's the headline of his latest story the nhl comma tick tocking past the graveyard he joins us now ethan thanks for coming on the show yeah and i apologize for the website itself being a bit of a mouthful house of strauss on substack i think that's the easiest way to find it via google thanks for having me on though okay house of strauss s-t-r-a-u-s-s at substack you- uh, yep, you got it. That's okay. uh, that's where I'm at, and it's basically a website that sends you an email, and it's doing great, and I appreciate the publicity. Happy to discuss this. Yeah, and uh, everybody should read the piece that you have up there, which we're going to talk about right now. I, uh, I'm not going to even come close to, to doing it justice here in the time we have, but I'll I'll give it a try. Um, you you write that the NHL is quote not only obsessed with issues of race, gender and sexual orientation, but is visibly uncomfortable with those who are typically obsessed with, uh, with, the, uh, with its sport. So, yeah. uh, unquote. So, so the, the NHL, I don't know if hates the right word, but is uncomfortable with their fans, the, the very people that they like or are supposed to like. Yeah, and I think you see this across a lot of industries. You think it would just be about the economics, but sometimes it's about the people in charge being vaguely embarrassed uh, about who their customers are. And they want uh, a certain, maybe different kind of customer, maybe trendier, maybe younger, maybe more diverse. And you combine it with some actual anxiety about financial survival and this sense that everybody is having across sports 
that young people aren't into sports, that they prefer to play video games. So it creates a situation where the NHL is not only worried about their fan base or maybe embarrassed about their fan base, trying to change their fan base, getting very obsessed with how, well, it's older white men. What do we do? What do we do? And instead of those anxieties inspiring, I think, rational changes or trying to be more competitive in this or that way, it just seems that they're getting goofier and weirder and pandering in a manner that I don't think is going to connect to the demographics they're seeking to get. And uh, they've hired a bunch of 13 to 18-year-old kids. What was the point of that? (laughs) Well, yes. I mean, that sounds like a joke. It sounds like you're exaggerating for your audience, but you are being literally accurate when you say that. They call them the power players. It's about 27 to 28 kids age 13 to 18. Um, It was inspired by a letter sent to the NHL by an 11-year-old. And it is not just a focus group. The CMO of the company is in bi-weekly meetings with these children. And I did talk to them. I reached out because I was curious as to what is actually happening here. And it was funny, the kids, very nice kids, by the way. But the kids were saying to me, yeah, you know, I thought maybe this was a gimmick, but then we would tell them to do things and they'd do it. They were almost perplexed that this multi-billion dollar corporation was taking their lead. But I think what it speaks to, and I don't have any issue with doing focus group data here or there, but to have this level of involvement and to hand the reins of your operation over the children, I think speaks to the idea that you don't actually know what you're doing, that you're desperate for whatever's next. You're trying to pander in whichever way. You don't have a vision of your own. You should have a vision of your own. You should have a way to connect the past to the future. You should have a multi-generational connection. Uh, doing it in this way, I think, reveals uh, a silliness that the league has fallen into, and I don't think it will work. It also seems to uh, reveal um, a desire to do something just to show that you're doing something, like to oh, make yeah. yourself yeah. feel good. Yeah, we're we're reaching out, and reaching out's a big thing now. And um, you know, uh, when I was fourteen. It's a million years ago, but when I was 14, if the Pirates would have called me up and asked me my opinion on anything, I would have thought they were nuts. <laughs> yeah, I think these kids feel a little bit like that, too, even if they're opinionated and are telling them this or that. Um, and it's informed some of the cultural messaging, certainly, because the NHL, I think, has been more vociferous on that front than some of the other sports. And the weird part about that is these other sports often – have more liberal fans than the average or median NHL fan. So uh, a lot of that disconnect, that chasm, might be because the NHL is looking to kids for their cultural messaging. And, you know, kids are right about some things, but they also haven't experienced the world. They've got a lot of idealism that hasn't really confronted reality at that point. And so when the NHL starts being the mouthpiece politically, culturally, of what literal children think should be done, uh, I think the messaging is off-putting to their adult fans. Yeah, when I was a kid, when I was a teenager, uh, when I would get in an argument with my dad, it wouldn't last long. He'd let me go, you know, make make a couple of points, and within a minute and a half of the beginning of the argument, he would say to me, just remember, you don't know anything about anything. That's what he would say (laughs) to me. And, you know... (laughs) I thought he was nuts at the time, but then, you know, when I was 25 years old, I'd think back on it. You know, I didn't know anything about anything. And these they're, they're, they're going to depend on me as a 14-year-old who didn't know anything about anything on how they're going to run their business? Well, that's the thing. And this gets at a deeper topic that is bigger than the NHL, in my opinion. And it's a problem of this particular age. I think we are, in a way, victims of the boomer ideology, this unique generation that came up at a unique time and believed and resented the generation before it. And it was complicated. There were reasons for it. They didn't want to go to Vietnam. The war wasn't a good war. But they came up with, don't trust anybody over 30. And it's ironic because the boomers are old now, but they've passed on that sense that the young people are always right because they are going to become... They're going to become the ones who are in charge. You just have to do whatever the young people say. And that is thrown off the balance of life. We need attention. We need the older person saying to the younger person, you don't know anything. We need the younger person having some rebellion and saying, yes, I do. What we can't have and what we have in so many industries, especially in academia, 
is the older administrator or the older CEO saying, I don't know anything. You're right about everything. Tell me what to do. That screws everything up, in my opinion. Well, I'm from that boomer generation, just so you know. Um, And and you ask uh, in your piece, uh, is it a moral crusade or a business strategy? So which is it? Yeah, I I put that to people in this space and what we would call the DEI space in sports, and they usually don't have an answer to the question. And that sounds too good to be true now, doesn't it? So, so you're telling me that what you think is morally essential happens to also be the most profitable decision. How can that be? That's not usually how morality works, right? That's not usually what it is. Usually to do something moral, it means you're doing it in sacrifice of something else. But they are selling the message that our choices are financially the best choices. The NHL needs to diversify Therefore, we need to spread its message to all these communities that traditionally aren't into the NHL. Maybe, maybe, but I suspect that they're putting the moral crusade in front of what makes economic sense. I live in the suburbs, okay? I live in the suburbs of the West Coast. So we have a population of people with some disposable income, with kids, but they don't really have a relationship to hockey. I suspect that this would be pretty good ROI, return on investment, to build some rinks out here where I live. They're getting into jiu-jitsu. That's the new hot thing. There's no reason for that to exist out here. But they're looking for something for the kids to do that gets the aggression out and engages them. Hockey could be that thing. But it doesn't seem like at the NHL that they could even say that without feeling deeply unfashionable. To say, hey, we got to put out this hockey uh, to the wealthy suburbs and the less diverse peoples out there. That's something that they really, I think, would shy away from. And it makes me question whether this is even about economics or if it's really about, I don't know, a modern ideology, religion, whatever you want to call it, uh, becoming very well represented in the business communities. They're doing the exact opposite. They're, they, they're going into the urban areas, areas and trying to get, uh, you know, uh, hockey, get, make, make, get, get the, uh, yeah. the kids there to play hockey. The only problem with that is um, it requires skates, it requires yeah. sticks, pads, helmets. It ain't cheap. And so maybe you just accept the fact that that, you're, that most of the kids who play hockey are going to be are not going to be from low income areas, whether they be black or white. They're just not going to come from areas where people don't have money. It's not going to happen. Or let's say there is a cultural barrier. You know, so what if there is? That's their choice. You know, who says they have to? Who says that they they need to? Right? We have different cultures in this country. Some of it is shaped by ethnicity. But there's something almost arrogant about saying, hey, I'm going to make hockey really popular in this culture that hasn't necessarily, let's say, warmed up to it. And it just seems way more difficult than trying to expand on your advantage elsewhere. You don't even need to see it in the prism of race to what you're saying. You can see it in the prism of economic opportunity. But it's so odd to me. I mean, we have a counterexample, by the way. I didn't even mention this in the article. People think soccer is overtaking hockey in the United States. Well, how did that happen? Whether by intention or happenstance, it was that soccer became popular in the wealthy suburbs of America, which, while they might not be fashionable, the kids who come out of them tend to be influential people who tend to have platforms and everything else. And so soccer is already an example of how you can make your sport popular among young people without trying to make it popular within, I don't know, south side of Chicago, which seems like a really heavy lift by their own admission. They say everything you're saying, by the way. They say, we've got this problem, we've got that problem. They can't afford the skates. They can't afford the equipment. Well, then why are they trying to make it happen? I think it gets back to, again, the sense of morally we need to do what's right here, which is not the same thing as economically doing what's right or trying to assure the profitability of your sport. And not to focus too much on that part of it, but... Um, my son and my grandkids all played hockey, and uh, there was a slight difference in hockey and soccer, which I didn't want them to play because I can't stand soccer, but that's another issue. Um, <laughs> uh, I, uh, I, I'm pretty sure it requires skates and being able to skate to play hockey. To play soccer, you throw a ball on the field, okay, and you say, yeah. here, see that thing over there? Kick it. See if you can kick it in there. And when they're five years old, they can play that. You can't do that with hockey. you got to find... Parents who are willing to pay for the skates, 
take the kids to the rink, have the patience to go to practices at 6 o'clock in the morning. It's a totally different world. But that, that, that's something for another day to discuss. But I, I, don't, I don't have too much time here. Who is Kim Davis? And we're talking to Ethan Strauss. You can find him at Ethan Strauss um, uh, at Substack.com. Or is that, I'm sorry, did I get that right? Uh, house, I think you got that. I think you got that right. I mean, you can just put House of Strauss Substack in yeah. Google. Okay, house, house of Strauss, Strauss at Substack dot com. House of Strauss dot Substack dot com. Nearing thirty thousand subscribers. Very happy with it. Okay. Uh, Kim Davis has such a lengthy title that I need to even look it up to see it. Uh, she is Executive Vice President, Social Impact Growth Initiatives and Legislative Affairs. What's her um, hockey background? And, None, none. Wasn't a fan, didn't really care for it. Uh, was part of some consultancy shop that the NHL was looking to advice from, and they decided to hire her. And now Gary Bettman at the uh, Board of Governors meetings will just pass the mic to her for lengthy speeches on how she's going to revolutionize hockey and bring it into all these new communities. But no offense to her, I almost suspect these days that the longer your title, the less I'm sure that you're tangibly doing. I just, I don't know how she's going to make this happen. It seems like a lot of talk. And you have to question again why hockey is so into people who aren't into it and so repulsed maybe by people who are into it. I think it shows a sport that doesn't have the courage of its convictions. And this again is a broader topic. We talk about Certain boomers. You, sir, seem like a fantastic boomer. I'm not bigoted against the boomers. Yeah. But Batman is this other example of people who attained a certain status and I think are just trying to hang on, and they're just giving the people below them whatever they're calling for, and they're not really trying to succeed. They're just trying to grab some money out the door, and he seems to be of that ilk. It seems like he's just sort of handing off the reins, not really having a vision, and in order to try to throw a smoke bomb at anybody criticizing him on diversity issues, hiring this person and letting her uh, take over the marketing of the sport. He might be um, um, apologizing for being old, too. That, that, there's a lot of that going yeah. around. Um, How dare he? Yeah. So why is Gen Z, that's people born after 1998, a problem for all the leagues? And uh, oh, man. what does the NHL think it can do about it? I mean, you, you addressed that about the, the 13- and 18-year-old kids they're consulting. Yeah, I mean, Gen Z is a problem, but, you know, it's even worse down the line. I mean, here's here's a stat right here. And when I said this, it was not countered by anything. All I got was a flood of people saying, yeah, I can see it in my kids. Uh, the stat is this. Generation Alpha, which is this incoming generation of teenagers, according to the Sports Business Journal, the survey suggests that only 15% of Generation Alpha enjoys watching sports that's not 15 percent going to games that's no. not 15 percent playing a sport that's 15 percent just liking watching sports that's what these leagues are looking at that is the existential crisis for them i don't know if they know what to do about it i don't know if i know what to do about it the kids right now are doing a lot of different things. They have more entertainment options than you had, than I had growing up. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that these sports understand how to compete on that terrain. And I actually think the answer, or at least one of the answers, is actually going back to tradition, trying to establish that connection, that this is eternal, that this is something your dad enjoyed, that this is something your grandfather enjoyed. Because there are only so many things like that in the culture, and that's your comparative advantage. But instead, it seems like they're trying to go the other way, and they're getting obsessed with TikTok, and they're doing the how-do-you-do-fellow-kids meme that people sometimes see on the Internet where Steve Buscemi is dressed up like a skateboarder with his hat on backwards. I don't think it works. I don't think it's, it resonates. I don't think it's authentic. Um, I just think the classics usually work of trying to make your product as quality as possible and trying to market it as smartly as possible. Yeah, my marketing plan is pretty simple, um, Ethan. Shut up and drop the puck. That would be mine. Um, I, you know, I, I don't know. We could have a meeting about that, that, but it would last about 30 seconds. That's what I would tell them because I think all the other stuff is counterproductive. Uh, I got about 30 seconds. <laughs> I think that uh, you could do them a whole lot of good just in that very quick talk. They wouldn't need a biweekly meeting with you, sir. I think that <laughs> message would be heard loud and clear, and it would make them better for it. One more time, where can they find you, Ethan? 
They can find me at houseofstrauss.substack.com. All right, Ethan Strauss, I'm going to have you on again. Love your stuff, and I'm, I'm, I'm subscribing. I'll be getting your emails. Thanks. Thank you so much. Subscribe today, everybody. Take care. <laughs> okay. With SRN News, I'm John Scott, Bankrate.com Senior Economic Analyst Mark Hamrick. Says the recent bank failures add to the complexity of what the Fed will do when it meets next week. They have a much more complicated question uh, to ask now with respect to the next move in interest rates. And some are believing that the Fed uh, will not move as aggressively as uh, Jerome Powell indicated just last week. President Biden is telling Americans the nation's financial systems are sound. This comes after the collapse of the two banks, Silicon Valley Bank and New York-based Signature Bank. A strong nor'easter is blowing in and will hit the region, blowing in after the uh, PM commute today. Alabama number one in the final AP Top 25 men's college basketball poll. Houston number two, Big Ten champ Purdue third. The Big 12 rounded out the top five with Kansas and Texas. This is SRN News. We're entering a time of increasing hostility against people of faith. A time when Christians are going to be tested on a moral and physical and financial basis, unlike any other time in our lifetime. I'm Lance Wall, now Christian author, evangelical leader, here to remind you that you have to take action to protect and steward what God has given you. For example, record high inflation is going to continue to eat away at the dollar, and the savings of your retirement account is in danger. Fortunately, God does provide a way. To protect your retirement, I recommend diversifying your 401k or IRA out of paper and into physical gold. And the best way to do that is with a gold IRA from Birch Gold Group. Now, to see how it works, just text the word FAITH to 989898. That'll give you access to a free info kit on gold IRAs. There are no strings attached, so text FAITH, F-A-I-T-H, to 989898 right now, and I pray your family is blessed with peace of mind because you took action. Stay up 1250. The answer. It's easy and profitable to be kind to others when you enter the Kindness Challenge. Each day for 30 days, we'll post a new act of kindness that you can do for others. On April 17th, you could win $5,000, and a deserving organization will also receive $5,000 in your name. You can make a difference in others' lives when you enter the Kindness Challenge. Learn more now at TheAnswerPGH.com. Whose rulebook do you want to play by, the government's or your own? This is Jay Hagerman of Abernathy & Hagerman. Without a proper estate plan, many families end up playing by the government's rulebook and losing a lot of what they'd intended to leave to their families. That's why Abernathy & Hagerman presents free, ongoing estate planning workshops with attorney Dan Reimer to help you protect what's yours and make sure the government plays by your rules. The next one's happening soon. For details and to attend, visit a-h.law. The word is out. People are abandoning their overpriced wireless carriers and flocking to Pure Talk for the same 5G coverage, but at a fraction of the price. In fact, the average family saves over $800 a year when switching from Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile. And switching is so easy. You can keep your phone, keep your number, or get huge discounts on the latest iPhones and Androids. Right now, you can get unlimited talk, text, and six gigs of data for just $30 a month. Or if you still want unlimited data, you can get that and still save a fortune. So make the switch and get the same coverage as the big guys, but at half the price. Go to puretalk.com, type in your address to find the coverage at your home, then enter promo code half off, and you'll save an additional 50% off your first month. That's puretalk.com, promo code half off. Switch to Pure Talk and get unlimited talk, text, and six gigs of data for just $30 a month because Pure Talk is simply smarter wireless. AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The Answer. WPGP Pittsburgh, a division of Salem Media Group. Listen on the Answer mobile app, smart speakers, tune in, iHeart, or Odyssey. AM 1250. The Answer. Weather. Breezy tonight, a little snow at times with little to no accumulation. A burst of heavier snow can reduce visibility and cause slick spots. Tonight's low 24. Cloudy and windy tomorrow with a snow shower. Tomorrow's high 30. Breezy tomorrow evening, otherwise areas of low clouds, low 22. Breezy Wednesday morning, otherwise partly sunny skies, will reach a high Wednesday of 43. With your AccuWeather forecast, I'm Drew Shannon. 
This is the John Stackerwalt Show on AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The answer. Well, the world and the media have had a week now to digest the January 6th video that Tucker Carlson had on his show. And uh, he's still being trashed by liberals everywhere, especially liberals in the media. Jeffrey McCall is a professor of communications at DePaul University. He's also uh, worked as a media critic for The Hill, and he joins us now. Jeff, good to have you back on, as usual. Thank you, John. Appreciate it. (laughs) So uh, any surprises for you, uh, either in the videos themselves or the media's reaction to it? (laughs) No, no surprises, really. I mean, we could have kind of figured a lot of what we were going to see in those videos because they had thousands and thousands of videotaped hours to show. And I think what we see from the presentation of Tucker Carlson is really what we should have seen in the months that the January 6th hearings were going on when the Democrats ran the House of Representatives, because it gave us a contrary view to everything that was put together in that kind of Ministry of Information series of hearings that were run by Benny Thompson uh, for the House of Representatives. And this does show, I think, that the January 6th hearings uh, were political theater, uh, and it was designed to only provide one point of view and one perspective that was highly characterized to be as negative and bad as possible. And that's not to say that there wasn't plenty of bad stuff to show from the January 6th disturbances of a couple of years ago, but it does go to show that what they were showing was cherry-picked. And I find that the curious thing about how so many people in the media are criticizing Tucker Carlson is by saying, well, he just cherry-picked certain things to show. And I'm thinking, well, that, that's true. He did that in an editorial process. But he was try to, trying to provide, I think, the counterbalance to everything that the January 6th committee showed. Now, Tucker Carlson, of course, has his point of view, and he's trying to make a point, an editorial point, uh, with his analysis. But it's certainly a contrast and I think what would have helped the nation, frankly, what, you know, this is, a, this is, it's controversial, the whole situation, the January 6th thing was an awkward time in our nation. Some bad things happened that day, but it was not what was characterized by the January 6th committee. And I think it would have helped the nation if when the House first began its January 6th investigation, they had said, we're going to try to characterize as accurately as possible the good that happened that day, the bad that happened that day, to clear up the confusion that happened that day, and to try to take an accurate snapshot of this situation and make sense of it. And they didn't do that. No. And that was, that was totally because of Nancy Pelosi, who as Speaker of the House at that time, didn't allow any contrary points of view into the committee. Mm-hmm. As you might remember... Uh, Kevin McCarthy had several people that he appointed to that committee who were Republicans who were going to try to put a different perspective or raise some questions or challenge the prevailing statements of the majority of the House at that time, which was run by the Democrats. And he threw all those people out. And so the only two Democrats, or excuse me, the only two Republicans who served were Adam Kitzinger then and Liz Cheney who were both already kind of on board with the prevailing point of view that Nancy Pelosi wanted in there. And so what we see in the aftermath of Tucker Carlson's presentation, since it runs contrary to the narrative that was put out there for two years, is a lot of people who are unwilling to give up on the narrative that they tried to establish and the rhetorical kind of perspective they demanded be accepted by the public uh, which not everybody's willing to accept. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the things to keep in mind here is it's a confusing time. People are going to put their own kind of stamp on that. And I think reasonable people can say this was not good that we had people beating down the doors and confronting the police and knocking down barriers and that sort of thing. But to characterize it as, you know, a wild-eyed insurrection, and as, they, and as Chuck Schumer and these people tried to keep saying, it was a deadly insurrection. Yeah, I'm thinking deadly well, attack. It was, yeah. it, it was deadly for Ashley Babbitt mm-hmm. when she was shot and killed by a Capitol police officer. But you know, other than that, the only other people who died that day were protesters of some medical emergencies or various that sort sorts of things. Okay, and uh, 
The one thing I think that's interesting in the Tucker Carlson presentation where it talks about the death of Officer Sicknick, which we're all sad about, but it's clear that he was moving about and apparently not severely injured uh, at the time he was walking through the Capitol, which was apparently after he had made the confrontation earlier with the protesters. So we've got a lot to clear up here. The media is not helping, I think, in the aftermath because they're unwilling to give up on the narrative they helped put together. And uh, Tucker Carlson's the bad guy. And, I, and again, I, I'm not saying that Tucker Carlson doesn't have his own angle that he's trying to put out there. Uh, but I think it's an angle that should have been presented much earlier. And let's face it, all this video has been available for months. But it was sat upon and sat upon when the Democrats controlled the House of Representatives. And so now that it is out there, some of it anyway, uh, and it's cherry-picked, it's kind of like, okay, that, that's what happens when you have a debate. When you have a debate, you know, people on the affirmative side are going to say one thing and they're going to cherry-pick their best evidence, and people who are opposed to that point of view are going to cherry-pick their best evidence. And I'd say let it all get out there and then let us make our own decisions. And I think if the media had been doing their job from the beginning when uh, they saw that, first of all, what you mentioned, that Kevin McCarthy had some people he'd like to have put on the committee and they weren't allowed to, but you think that a media doing their job would have said would have been asking a lot why did you pick two people of all the republicans two people who are openly haters of donald trump to be on a committee that could end up uh, resulting in the indictment of donald trump it, it, why would you uh, why would you risk your own credibility by doing that, wouldn't wouldn't you wouldn't you if you're doing your job as the media, wouldn't you be asking that? Wouldn't you be holding their feet to the fire on the decision to put those two people on? I don't I don't remember seeing anybody outside of Fox uh, criticizing that part of it. No, and interestingly, uh, the media kind of went along with the kind of inside game that Nancy Pelosi was putting together, because uh, they pretty much ran a narrative that this is okay that Nancy Pelosi has stacked the deck and only allowed on to this committee the people she wants because they're on the right side of history. And I'm thinking, well, who's to know what the right side of history is until you see the evidence? That's right. Until you have the debate. And one of the people that McCarthy had nominated to be on that January 6th committee was a congressman from northern Indiana named Jim Banks, who is who is not a radical? I mean, he's not an extremist. He's he he wants evidence, and you know he's he's straightforward. But he's not a, a radical kook, and it would have been good to have somebody like Jim Banks on that committee representing the Republicans. And if I remember right, Kinsinger and uh, Liz Cheney were not even on the list that McCarthy presented to uh, Nancy Pelosi when they were first trying to put this select committee together. Now here's a just for an example, uh, Jeff. This is. Um from abcnews.com, and it's uh, the story is actually they picked up an AP story. I don't know who these people are, but it's the three uh, reporters are Lisa Mascaro, Mary Claire Jelanik, and Farnoosh Amiri. Now, this is presented, as far as I can tell, as a news story, okay? Uh, it's, uh, these three people are not columnists. I, I'm guessing that this is, you know, these are three reporters. So I'm going to read you what they this is one paragraph of uh, what they're saying uh, about this about the Tucker Carlson videos this was written the uh, the day after i think on tuesday the effort dovetails with the work of republicans on capitol hill led by house speaker kevin mccarthy who turned over the security footage to fox this is the this is the key point here the republicans are trying to claw back the findings of the house january 6th investigation which painstakingly documented with testimony and video evidence how Trump rallied his supporters to head to the Capitol and quote-unquote fight like hell as Congress was certifying his loss to Democrat Joe Biden. Now, of course, they don't mention there that, and it, this came out a couple of days after, uh, maybe the next day after uh, Tucker Carlson first released his videos, there's, there's, uh, the, the, in the video that was shown by the Democrats, they didn't show Trump telling people to be peaceful. He's on video saying that that was not included anywhere in the video that they showed uh, as part of the committee, as part of that hearing. But that's an example there. That's that language there. Uh, 
that uh, as though the case was already closed. There's no reason to have it. Why are we even discussing this? It was established, and why are they doing this? That's from the yeah. Associated Press, yeah, not and MSNBC. You, and uh, I think that's an important example you raised, John, because the Associated Press is generally considered a pretty straightforward news organization. It is, it is the world's largest news-gathering organization because they have member affiliates uh, at newspapers and radio and TV stations around the world. Um, and, and I must say, I'm making kind of a blanket statement here, but generally I think the Associated Press tries to do a pretty fair job on covering most national news events and international as well. But in this particular case, and I am familiar with the story you're citing there, in this particular case... These three reporters were supposed to be writing what was supposed, you know, uh, presumably a straightforward news piece to focus on facts. And beyond the paragraph that you cited, which is uh, uh, quite uh, relevant for our discussion, there are other little signs throughout this entire piece that they are really pretty much shilling for the January 6th committee and the House Democrats who ran it. Because there's no real attempt throughout this, you know, effort at professional journalism to make it a, a balanced kind of approach or a balanced story. They, they totally delegitimized Tucker Carlson's points of view and the video he showed by basically saying, here's a radical guy trying to undo the conclusions of the January 6th committee. And as we talked about earlier, the conclusions of the January 6th committee were one-sided. And and again, that that's, that's the way they have that's the way they did it. It's their prerogative to do it that way. But once you make a one-sided argument, that doesn't mean that somebody can't challenge it. And getting back to your earlier point, journalists should have been challenging the January 6th committee all along. You know, from the, from the moment it was formed, you know, all the way through to the end of it, by saying, what is left out of this January 6th hearing that would provide counter-conclusions or counter-evidence to, 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 way, to the way they have stacked the deck here. Now, and again, the January 6th committee was formed to make a point. I get that. And they made their point. But it's up to, it's up to the journalist at some point to say, we are not going to be stenographers and propaganda ministers for people who are trying to run a political game. We are going to challenge them and look for counter-evidence. And now that the counter-evidence is out there, okay, there is a place where we can say, Let's try to weigh in balance now. The January 6th committee portrayed this whole event as total violence with wild-eyed extremists answering President Trump's call to fight like hell, quote-unquote. Uh, and there was no effort to counterbalance that with the fact that the doors were open and otherwise peaceful people were just wandering in and that they, are, they were not all combating uh, you know, in violence with the police, that many of them were just walking in like tourists, okay? Yeah. And I think there's, there's a need to kind of put it all in perspective and all of context, and, and to provide some context. And that has not happened either through the January 6th hearings or in the media coverage of that. And Trump and, and Tucker Carlson, with, with one show on Fox News Channel, um, is suddenly a threat to democracy. And Chuck Schumer, as you might remember, last week was railing on the Senate floor that Tucker Carlson should not be allowed to be on the channel. Yeah, they, and that he yeah. and that he's a threat to the nation. Yeah, and I thought if Tucker Carlson's a threat to the nation, we have a very weak nation, and not to mention that's totally contrary to every principle of the First Amendment and a free press. That Chuck Schumer, as the you know majority leader of the Senate, is standing there saying that. And that a commentator should not be able to, like, speak to the nation on a news channel? I mean, th that's more dangerous to the future of the nation than anything Tucker Carlson did, in my opinion. Or anything that happened on January 6th. Uh, we're, we're, we're talking to Jeff, uh, Jeffrey McCall, professor of communications at DePaul University. Um, so uh, Tucker Carlson doubled down, Jeff, on what he said last week. He called the Democrats liars. He also said that the Republicans who criticized him, and there were plenty, uh, just proved that they're all on the same side. So is any of this going to affect anybody's ratings, or is this just a lot of preaching to the choir and everybody's going to just – I mean, has anybody's mind been changed by any of this? I can't imagine that anybody's mind has been changed. 
Uh, now, I must say that uh, I, you know it, it's hard to know how much of all the video Tucker Carlson's producers have been able to go through because they've only had it for a couple of weeks, and he's you know presented some of it on his show, but it would take a long time with a lot of producers, even running this stuff through at fast speed, you know, to kind of go through and aggregate everything that's in there. And so what we have so far, you know, again, to go back to the critics, is cherry-picked, perhaps, but it does show a different point of view. And I think we still need somebody in a careful, scrutinizing way to look at all of it and to try to say, what do we make of this now? But I don't think at the moment this is going to change anybody's minds. And that's why I think it's so sad that, you know, we had these January 6 hearings for months, and they didn't change anybody's mind. And, and I don't know that Tucker Carlson, who has a platform on Fox News, is going to necessarily change anybody's minds. He, he is the highest-rated cable news host, that is true. But, you know, it's, it's three to four million uh, on any given night on his best nights. Uh, and in a nation of 330 million people, uh, that's not enough to really kind of change you know, the momentum of, you know, what people are going to have in their minds about January 6th. And I do think that it would really be helpful for the, the, the people who should know better to try to tamp down on the emotional rhetoric. And, I mean, I, I go back to Kamala Harris, the vice president, a couple months ago, who was listing the January 6th uh, commotion or insurgents or whatever people are going to call it. Um, she was categorizing that in the same breath as 911. Oh, yeah. Pearl Pearl Harbor Day <clears throat> mm-hmm. in December seventh, nineteen forty one, and I'm thinking, you know, Madam Vice President, you are either actively trying to mislead the nation, or you have a very poor understanding of history, or oh, maybe little, both. Yeah, a little bit of both. I got about a minute and a half left, Jeff. What do you think we're going to see from the media when the video is uh, going to be made available to everybody? Just different kinds of cherries being picked. Oh, yeah. And in fact, I, the media is probably ready to move on from this. I mean, they, they were kind of ready to move on when the January 6th hearings concluded. Uh, and, and in fact, they, they, I think, have acted disappointed that they didn't, that those January 6th hearings didn't offer a knockout punch to Trump. Because, I mean, tr- Trump kind of uh, was, was re- for him, relatively quiet throughout that whole process. Uh, but then, the January 6th hearings kind of started to wrap up, and he's out campaigning and running for president. So they haven't accomplished their goal, and I think that shows the limitations of these high-profile congressional hearings on TV, you know, with their doctored videos and stuff like that, is you can only take those things so far. Because if the whole point was to try to say, we don't want Trump to ever be elected president again, they haven't worked very well so far, because polling shows that he's still... I mean, by the way, it's, it's way out from when the primary season's going to happen, but polls still show Republicans generally favor him over the other people who might be in the field. And he's running for president, obviously. He's having rallies. He's fundraising money. He's flying around the country. So they didn't knock him out of the tree yet, and we'll have to see if that might still happen. But it's going to take more than that to dissuade him. And, and I don't think of the people who are Trump supporters or even people who are just generally conservative or Republican voters, I don't think this is enough to dissuade them yet, and we'll have to see how it plays out. Yeah, they aren't, they aren't finished with Trump yet. <laughs> you can bet on that. And no, he- <laughs> no, they've got plenty of ammunition, I'm sure, still. Yeah. Hey, Jeff, I'm out of time. As usual, great to have you on. Perfect stuff. Thank you. Thank you. All right. We'll be right back. My son, Finn, was born with congenital heart disease. He ended up spending about the first eight months of his life in the hospital. During that time, he endured 10 surgeries, including an open-heart surgery. Starlight Children's Foundation has played an important role in my family's life. For five weeks when he was a baby, Finn lived in a Starlight Hero wagon. You could not understand the pure joy of having him go from a hospital bed into his favorite red wagon. Starlight doesn't just give items that hospitalized kids can use to keep themselves happy, but also memories, moments, and experiences which are so needed in times like these. They allow sick kids to just be kids for a little while. The support that Starlight provides to families like mine is an integral part to creating happiness at a time when there's very little to be found. 
Learn more about how Starlight Children's Foundation brightens the lives of sick kids by visiting starlight.org today. Wesley Financial Group is not a law firm. This story is called The Ugly Truth About Timeshare. If you think you've done your family a favor by buying a timeshare, you need my help. Hello, I'm Chuck McDowell, CEO and founder of Wesley Financial Group. Ten years ago, I started helping folks cancel their timeshare. And in the process, started what's now called the timeshare cancellation industry. Timeshare is the only thing that you can buy that you can't tell me how much it's going to cost or when it's going to end. When you buy a timeshare, you give them a blank check to fill out any amount they want for annual maintenance and assessment fees. The crazy thing is, this never ends. Even when you die, your family's now going to be stuck with this burden. Stop the insanity today. Call my office now. If we take you as a client, I guarantee we'll cancel your timeshare or you'll pay nothing. Call for your free information kit. 800-626-5252. That's 800-626-5252. 800-626-5252. The John Steigerwall Show. AM 1250, The Answer. <clears throat> so I got some good news today. Um, if you follow me on Twitter at Steigerworld, you might have seen the video. Uh, you, may, you may have seen it other places too, but um, there's a there was a video of a guy. That this was uh, I guess it was on Saturday or maybe yesterday. I think it was Saturday. Um, this guy is riding along in a country road. He's driving a uh, an SUV, and uh, he stops the car, and he opens the tailgate. And he lets out a really nice-looking young, not a puppy, but a young German shepherd. And then he drives away. And the German shepherd, you know, gets out of the car, happily gets out of the car, wagging its tail. Hey, we're in the woods. We're out out in the country. We're going to have some fun. He drives away. And the dog chases him up this country road. with It's a two-lane road with traffic coming in the other direction that could have easily killed the dog. Well, it didn't kill the dog. And somebody had a camera, because obviously, I'm telling you that I saw it, got his license plate, and the good news today, this creep has been arrested and charged with cruelty to animals. I hope he goes to jail, and I sure hope he doesn't have any, you know, trip and fall accidents while he's in there. You know, I just hope that doesn't happen to him. I'll talk to you tomorrow. John Steigerwald Show is a production of Salem Media Group and sponsored by Service Master of Greater Pittsburgh. Demand the yellow van. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.